So welcome again. I, uh, um, for those who don't know me, I'm Zachary. I'm a priest um, at San Francisco Zen Center, which this in this moment means I'm a priest in my basement with a cat or my garage with a cat, um, which is good. It's really good. I, uh, I, I'm, I keep trying to figure out how. Um, when all this is over, I can I can bring start bringing the cat to city center because I'm not sure I'll be able to sit actually without the cat after this. So we'll see. Um, so I, you know, I kind of handed around about this in the uh, in the description of this talk, but I'll I'll say it again. So. Um, Yunmen was a was a Tang Dynasty Zen master and really one of the um, most celebrated figures in Chinese Zen or Chan. He was really a remarkable person, largely because um, he he had this sort of pedagogical skill that. Um, and 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 a, and a sort of talent for poetic speech that was quite unusual, even for those times when actually um, uh, if you read the. Uh, if you read the ancient literature, there were enough people that had similar skills that you kind of get it. You you kind of get this feeling, wow, that was a you know there was this huge sort of crop of really really great skillful teachers and and you know lucky lucky monks to live in during the Tang Dynasty. <laughs> um, so. At some point, a monk, a pretty sharp monk, I think, asked him, um, what are the teachings of a whole life? And um, Yun Men said, well, he said something that's either translated as an appropriate statement or an appropriate response, or maybe just appropriate statement or appropriate response. Because um, my guess is that whatever else is true about the, I haven't, I didn't go look, I was considering going looking at the original text, but I didn't do it. But my guess is that there isn't even a, there isn't even an article there. It's just appropriate statement or appropriate response. Um, So you know, I have to say this con is is unusual, largely um, in that it's it's so slippery, right? The uh, I also said this in the um, in the in the in the 
text in the email, but the the commentaries call it. They say it's a it's a um, it's like a hammerhead without any place to put the handle, right? It's this, you know, sort of heavy, slippery, clunky object that you can't figure out where to grab. And wherever you put your hands on it, it kind of falls out. And, and I guess also maybe there's a implication in there that if you pick it up the wrong way and it slips, it'll fall on your toe or something like that. Right? So it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to grapple with. And it's it's difficult for a couple of reasons. One is the question, right? So the question is actually a, a very complex thing. Um, the conventional interpretation of the question, what are the teachings of a of a whole life, um, refers to the teachings of the Buddha. And and in particular, what back in the day they used to call you know air quotes the teachings of a whole life and um and if they were you're spelling it in english it would be you know capital t capital w capital l right are are um this formulation of the of the of the teachings that um was cooked up by this guy uh Juri, who was the founder of the Tendai school in China, or actually the, um, the, that's the Tendai is the Japanese word for it, but this, the, the, the first really big, well-attested Mahayana Buddhist school in China. Um, and it's a, it's a school that still has a lot of in, in, in adherence, um, for example, in Japan and a really kind of big footprint. And Juri was kind of a genius, right? And he, um, a, a, in a sort of scholarly um, and practical way. And he, he formulated this, this thing, the teachings of a whole life that, that basically say this, like there are five phases of the Buddhist teaching. And the first one is, when the Buddha woke up, he completely expressed all the teachings sitting there under the under the Bodhi tree, right? And what he said in that moment is recorded differently in different um, accounts of it. But the the usual account in the Mahayana school is he said, you know, wonderful. I see now that everyone's awake. It's just they don't realize it because of their preoccupations. That's what that's and he, you know that's what he said basically. Um, that might be all anyone ever needs to know about um, about practice. Um, but and and just the just you know his the if, when you we're not just talking about the words that he said but also his ex, his full bodied expression of of you know the joy and engagement of being awake right um that was all anyone ever really needed to hear but um uh because people didn't get it right away he he formulated a, an additional set of teachings that would sort of lead them along. And that's the, that's the sort of original, um, uh, you know, Buddhist teachings as, as they've come down to us, right? And then there's this idea that 
he taught, there was a transition period where um, he taught a bunch of stuff that was sort of in between the, the sort of Theravadan teachings and the, uh, the Mahayana teachings. And then, then, he, then he taught in this really kind of peculiar setting. I think the way, I don't remember this story exactly, but I think the way it worked is he, um, he vaulted up to heaven and visited his mom okay and delivered to her the the um the whole you know prajnaparamita um teachings and then in the then every day he'd he'd transport back down and um and hand out the cliff notes to one or a few devoted followers. Right? Um, so, so he, so people only, you know, people on Earth only had an had an inkling of it, and it, uh, and he, these teachings were initially taught um, sort of in some heavenly context, and that's why they we didn't originally know about them, um, and. And the rest of the story is that, um, what, or one version of the rest of the story is that uh, Nagarjuna um, was, one day he was walking along and some, some snakes came up to him and said, hey, you wanna see something cool? Come here. And they led him into a cave and they showed him the Mahayana teachings or the, the Prajnaparamita teachings. And so um, that's, and that's how they got out into the world, basically. Um, so, and then the la the last phase of his teaching was the was the Lotus Sutra and the Parinirvana Sutra, which is the sutra that he preached on his deathbed before he um, uh, entered the you know the state of complete in enlightenment and uh, you know permanent enlightenment without um, rebirth. Right? So that's the that's the kind of that's the whole the teachings of a whole life as framed by jury right? and and so you know you can see it has this interesting um uh function it wraps up um you know a wraps up buddhist teachings that extend way well beyond the actual life of the buddha right because it's it's pretty clear that that um that the um, the Mahayana teachings were written down, you know, much, you know, much later than the, the life of the Buddha um, from a historical perspective. And it's not even totally clear for all of them whether they were originally written in uh, in a language that the Buddha would have even understood. There's a theory that some of them were actually originally written in Chinese and then translated back into Sanskrit. Nobody, nobody really knows actually, right? But so Juried was like, yeah, we don't have to worry about that. This is the whole picture. And he sort of wrapped it up, right? Um, and so the, the conventional 
understanding of the question is, well, what is that? You know, what what what's that huge, you know, ball of mud, right? But but actually, that's only the conventional understanding. If you if you think about it, right, you could easily the monk could easily have been been asking, what are the what are the, what's the teachings of my whole life, right? And and interestingly, the answer in some ways should be the same, right? It's like if the if Buddhism really is the um, the way of liberation, which is what Alan Watts um, called it at one point, um, then then the teachings of the whole life of the Buddha and the, even this sort of this sort of you know meta teaching of of the you know whole life capital w capital l um should align handily with the teachings of this life right um uh if if you know how to read them right and and this and similarly they should it you could say maybe he's just talking about the teachings of this moment right because that's that because all there is to this whole life is this moment, right? That it's a, you know, that this moment has a precursor, has a, a precursor in memory and a, and a notional future um, and a trajectory into that notional future. But, but, but fundamentally the teaching, the teaching of this moment is, should, should align perfectly with the teachings of, the whole life and of and the you know the Dharma capital D uh, as expressed in the life of the Buddha. Right? Um, so that's a <laughs> that makes the question even bigger and harder to get a handle on, right? Um, and and then the other the other thing that's hard to handle is the answer, right? So um, I think the conventional interpretation of the answer is that some that either there's two conventional interpretations that show up one is that the teaching of the buddha was an appropriate response or an appropriate statement based on the conditions of the world right um, and that there, and it was a, it was a, um, an exposition of this sort of the, of this single underlying truth that, um, that underlies the, the conditioned world, right? Um, and, and so it was utterly appropriate in that way, right? And then, and then the other, the flip side of the, of the conventional understanding is that, that what it's encouraging the the listeners to do what what in what um what Yunmen was in was encouraging the monk to do was uh to respond appropriately when to everything right um which uh, both of those are fine but if you think about it he could could have easily just been saying your your question 
what is the teaching of a lifetime is itself an appropriate statement, right? Um, uh, and it's just, it's itself an appropriate response to to this moment, which is here we are sitting here. You've you've walked out of the assembly, put down your zagu, you bowed. Um, I bowed back, and then you're you're supposed to you're supposed to ask me a question. Um, okay, you did it. Awesome, appropriate. Now go sit down. <laughs> um, <laughs> next, <laughs> right? Um, and the the um, when when people talk about um, about Yin Men, they say he could he could always say three things at once. That that was part. That was the the level of his skill. So he said. Each phrase that comes out of his mouth, in this case, a two-word phrase, you know, appropriate statement, um, can be um, can be the it's, it's the phrase that follows the waves, right? So that has to do with how the dialogue is 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 constructed and carried out, right? So the the um, the monk asks him a kind of impossible question and he gives an impossible response, right? <laughs> um, he, you know, the monk asks him, a, it's a very sophisticated question and he gives a um, similarly sophisticated and, um, and uh, provoking response, right? Um, and then the second, the second phrase is the phrase that covers heaven and earth. Right? And the idea there is that, you know, Buddhism has a vast framework of concepts, forms, and um, ideas that's that's based in language and uh, text, and so on and so forth. And, and and that make that all of that language and text makes direct reference to the whole world, right? And so when you when you bring up, when you say anything in a, in the context of a, you know, so we assume that this exchange happened in a monastery somewhere in, in, uh, in China, I forget where in China Yunmen lived, but um, there, you can't help but stir up um, ideas in everybody's head. How could you not, how could people's ideas not get stirred up that that's what we are we're idea havers we're these people that that um that if you if you say something that aligns with a conceptual framework that we're carrying around in our head we make a response in terms of that that conceptual framework right so and 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 some of those responses are pretty far-reaching if you use um you know poetic language uh metaphorical language the the um, the whole function of a metaphor is to open into all of experience, right? So, um, so that's the phrase that covers heaven and earth. And then the last phrase is the one that they say cuts off the myriad streams. It just encourages dropping of all of that, and um, and just sinking into this sort of mode of direct experience, right? Of just letting all of all of that, both the 
the, the conduct of the exchange and the, the conceptual and metaphorical content of the exchange, just to let it go, just to let it be itself, right? And, and drop it. Um, and th this, this con kind of uniquely, not uniquely, but especially I think focuses on the, the, the kind of the the I guess the fact that intellectual interpretations like the sort of stuff we've been talking about are um, are helpful. They can be helpful, and they can they can actually have a they can lead to insight, which is lovely, right? But um, but in but in some sense they the risk is that they mask the other invitation of the con which is the invitation to cut off the myriad strings to to just drop it and to 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 have the experience be more sort of fundamental and um immediate than that right? And so the, the Rinzai school has developed a, a set of techniques for working with koans um, that, are, that are useful for focusing on the cutting off the myriad strings. And so if we, were, if we were doing this in the Rinzai school, we would, we'd be asked to sort of boil down this koan to a single thing that you can keep in your, in your awareness. And so it, typically it would be something like um, appropriate response or appropriate statement, or maybe something as, you know, the, the longest possible version of it would be something like, what is appropriate statement? What is an appropriate statement? So, and the idea is that you, you carry that around with you. And you let it sink into your it, your body such that you're it's like every moment the question the inquiry what what actually is an appropriate statement what is it to to um, to meet the world in a way that's um, appropriate and skillful um, is is resting there in the middle of your awareness, right? Um, and then to, to watch what happens when you do that, right? To watch the way in which that inquiry in and of itself opens up um, the world. Um, and in some ways, the interesting thing about this is that, that the, this is a technique that's used with a lot of different koans and, and the, the, the sort of underlying phrase, the, the sort of hook in them, it can be quite different, but but if you really do the practice, if you really follow it, if you really keep that close, that awareness and that that question close, um, something is revealed about about life, and in particular um, about what it is to to respond appropriately in the moment to um, to the causes and conditions, the energies and information that are alive in a particular moment. And that's, that's useful always, but it's especially useful in moments like this where 
um, for a lot of reasons that are, um, you know, personal, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, public health, uh, political, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, family related and so on. A lot of people are experiencing this kind of, um, this question, like, what do I do? Well, okay, um, keep the question and what, what is an appropriate response really close and notice the way that that plays out in your life and in your awareness. Um, and don't be surprised if it, um, if it uh, stirs up some remarkable responses. <laughs>